Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I, I, I somehow started that mid-stretch, but I am David Woods, Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, it's Friday. How you doing, buddy? That sounded like more mid-yawn. Or, I was, I was or doing mid-yawn. like, I don't even know why I, I, know I clicked record. Why did I what? click record? I was like stretching my arms out and almost yawning. You're right. It's just—it's how casual you take this job, Dave, and how casual you take this podcast. People live by this thing. They're—they're they're just riveted to every one of every word that comes out of your you mouth. You really gotta hope, given our publishing schedule of this quote thing, that they don't live by it, right? I, well, before COVID, I always thought that people just uh, used it to drive home by. Yeah, I know. I—I I figured it was something you did while you were, you know up to something else like illicit, you know, like just washing dishes, you know, I'd like to be up to something illicit. Don't we all, don't we all wish we were, um, well, it's a, it's a Friday in February, a Friday in February after signing day. Um, but despite that, we still have stuff to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk some basketball at you for a long period of time, but we're also going to talk some football, some exciting news. Or some news today. Listen to but you. Okay. Potentially okay. exciting for UCLA's uh, recruiting wait, efforts. Wait, wait. Okay, I got to let them all in. So before we went on the air, I said, hey, this is potentially exciting news uh, for UCLA that Dana Bible's retiring. They could hot. And, and what did you say, Dave? I think I said, is it? <laughs> and then you said it was exciting. Wow. The two sides. Well, there's the public persona, and then there's the private. There's the private Dave, there's the public Dave, right? And yeah. I'm giving them the public Dave. But now you've given them a glimpse of the private Dave. And frankly, all it is is tone. It's just a difference in tone. That's it. <laughs> it's all the same. Okay. One smarmy, okay. one snarky. Gotcha. But here, here we are. Here we are in the podcast realm now. Um, so last night, uh, we'll, we'll talk football uh, towards the end of this thing. Uh, but last night... UCLA basketball. Um, so the the final score indicates a certain kind of game, but I'm just going to call it what it really was, which was UCLA got blown out by a bad team on the road, Washington State. Yeah. Um, it was probably the first time, well, it was certainly the first time this year that UCLA lost to, I, I would say, a well-coached but bad team in Washington State. Um and it was strikingly similar to some of their efforts at the very beginning of last year, um, which was tons of mitigating factors. Uh, Jalen Hill, obviously yeah. still gone. Cody Riley came back in, but I wouldn't say he looked 100%. Um, Cronin claimed he was, and he was just making some dopey fouls, but he didn't look quite 100% to me. Um, and all those, you know, kind of mitigating factors. Um, but they still, I thought the effort was lethargic. Um, I know, so uh, just as a quick aside, what do you think of the, the Mick distinction between effort and um, intelligent play? Because it, it's it's reading to me like he just doesn't like calling out effort in these kind of public things and is always going to defend it. But my eyes tell me something different, that a lot of times it is a little bit more lethargic effort than anything else. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on there. Um, I, I, I think, 
I, I think he might legitimately feel there are, uh, you know what, I, I think there is a distinction. Uh, there's a distinction between when you just say effort, and that means like literally how hard a person is playing, and then really how focused and attentive you are to what's going on in the game. And there, I mean, uh, we, we have comparisons. There were times back in UCLA's history when the whole team just was pretty lethargic and had no effort. This team sometimes does look like it's just not focused at all. Now, if you want to call that effort, let's call it effort. Um, I, I so think- I lump all that, and because people made this odd distinction with me in the middle stages of the Alford era, too. They're like, if you want to call them unfocused, but don't call out their effort. And I'm like, they're the same thing. If you're not trying hard enough to subset. focus, that's effort. Yeah, I, I think I think the focus come falls under effort. You can say effort and it comes under it. If you're going to get specific, when you're talking about a Steve Alford team, no, there was there were guys who were standing straight up and down in, in not in a stance, letting guys shoot without clothes. I mean, there there was pure effort. Like I'm just not going to try. Yeah, and it's I, I don't think it's at that level. I don't think it has been really at any point under Cronin where it was in the like worst parts of the Alford era. But it's still, um, you know, there's still stuff you see. I mean, against USC, there were a couple of times where Ethan Anderson with a defender just a couple of feet away from him, that defender wouldn't even lift their arm. Um, and, like, that stuff, that isn't I, – I, I have a hard time describing that as focus. That's That's just effort, you know? Keep your arms up on defense seems like a – that's something that's tiring, so you would not want to do it, but it's something that you should pretty much be doing at all times. So – isn't that effort? Yeah, I'd say. Well, obviously, there isn't anyone who's giving 100 percent effort. No, and I, and I, yeah, and, yeah. yeah, I think there are absolute moments with this team when it is just it is effort. It's not focus. Um, anyway, that's kind of a not, semantic but not, distinction. But not many moments, and there. But some of it, some of it is just like they're flying around in the rotations, like with their heads cut off sometimes. I mean, yeah, and and there's some stuff that's obviously, like, I totally see what he's saying, like the intelligence stuff, where, well, not the intelligence, but like the playing smart defense. Like, there was a play last night where Tiger Campbell rightly rotated onto the open guy for the three, but then his man was um, left open, so he hurried back to his man without getting any coverage on the guy with the actual ball, and so it left him wide open. I think it was, um, what's his face, the big gawky dude um Kunch Kunch is that his name Kunch yeah Kunch. left him wide open and he nailed the three um and it was that was clearly he was showing a lot of effort because he was trying to basically cover two guys but he left the ball to go find his guy um I, I called him clunky in my write-up he's kind of clunky yeah whatever I mean we, we all know what we're talking about no matter what word we use um so, yeah, I mean, I, I totally see the distinction. I would just say, um, you know, that game, maybe even more than USC, I thought was a little bit lower energy. Um, well, yeah. See, yeah, I think it's, it's – I wrote the story today about UCLA's defense. And if – I mean, I, I played basketball a bit in high school, not that much. And, you know, you play pickup games. That's our firsthand experience. But I've, I've been kind of a basketball scout now for for 20 years. So, you know, it, basketball is a very interesting team dynamic because it's happening 
it's not like football where it's seven minutes of effort and then you're resting and you just focus for seven minutes. It's constant focus. It's constant effort. And, and on defense is where it's really the case. And it's a team thing. It's like you're only as strong basically as your, as your weakest link. If one leak breaks down, the other ones are trying to compensate for it, and that makes them worse individual defenders. And it's just like a ripple effect through your defense. Um, there was a va- famous well-known coach at UCLA who used to tell me, Tracy, uh, a good defense can take one bad defender, and that's, that's it. Two bad defenders is a breaking point. That was a really weird impression of John Wooden. <laughs> the way he said Tracy right then. Tracy. Um, and, you know, ever since then, I've been looking at it that way. And, of course, it's not perfect. There are times when a defense decent with two not great defenders and not good with one only one bad defender. But you can kind of – it's kind of a measuring stick. You can kind of watch a defense and say – Wow, this defense, oh, yeah, it's got those two guys are not good defenders. Um, So it's a cumulative thing, and that's what's happening with this team. Um, When there's some individuals who aren't great defenders and they're breaking down in terms of staying in front of the ball, they're breaking down in terms of their rotations and help and their assignments, the other guys who are decent defenders are – either trying to overcompensate or they're getting frustrated. And it's just kind of a domino effect through the defense. And that's, that's what I'm seeing. That's what I really saw last night. And maybe I think some people who are frustrated with it and also, and slash exhausted like Jaime Yaquez, he looks exhausted to me. Yeah. Um, And where it's going to show them. I mean, it's been showing in his defense. I thought, he played a lot better defense last year than he has in the last three weeks this year. And now, and it, but he was leading the team in scoring. Okay. I, I mean, he looked so exhausted. He couldn't even take a shot last night. He didn't take, he didn't even attempt a shot until I think eight minutes left in the first half. He didn't score uh, until, I don't know, uh, uh, in, in the second half. So he seems exhausted and he defensively, he, big Yaquez fan. Let's just pre- preface it with that. He's not a good defender right now. He's he let Mister, what's his name, Kunch Kunch go right go right around it. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, this was not Isaac Bonton. This was Kunch. Um, yeah. So uh, that's why I wrote that story. Is I'd love to see them just. Play with an, a real, uh, when it comes to personnel, play with an, a, a real optimization of your personnel for defense. Um, yeah, I think my, so I, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of things going on right now. So it's hard to just talk about one thing in a vacuum because when you start talking about how do you optimize the roster defensively, yeah. Well, part of that is getting two guys who may or may not be gone for the year. One is definitely in Chris Smith, but the other one is Jalen Hill. Uh, getting them back on the roster um, because those are two of your better defenders and they're not available. And what that has done, even beyond what we're talking about, which is uh, 
kind of a tactical response to what's going on on the floor. Um, everyone's role is screwed up. Um, all these guys had roles defined based off of the personnel the season started with, and now they're all screwed up for various reasons. I would say Jules Bernard is a good example of this because he's been in and out of the starting lineup for a period there in January, or beginning half of January and December. He was looking like UCLA's maybe best player or second best player for about a month. Um, and then he's gone in the tank. Um, but last year he had a really defined role. He was your bench energy defense guy who, if he made some you know bad decisions, you pulled him. But if he was playing well, he played 20 minutes. Um, everyone kind of had their role, and now those roles are ill-defined. Um, I think another reason for it is Johnny Juzang is in addition to what was a I won't say it was a perfect team by the end of last year, but it was certainly one that was um, surging. And then they didn't have the concentrated and um, expanded practice time that you normally get in an offseason to integrate new pieces. So Johnny Juzang comes in, um, doesn't play the first couple of games, and now he's, um, especially over the last, I don't know, three, four weeks, he's leading the team in minutes. Um, taking the most shots on the team, and this is a lot due to Chris Smith, um, you know, obviously tearing his ACL, but um, he's he's an entirely new piece trying to fit into uh, a rotation of guys who all had defined roles, um, and it was going okay until a couple weeks ago, until basically the USC game where um, Hill and, and Riley um, were both out, and now Hill being out, but all of that stuff is also happening in the background. Um, and then, you know, we're we're also looking at this tactical thing that's going on, which is, um, you know, and this is mainly, this has been kind of my beef since the beginning of the year. Um, it's just been my particular beat to just bang on the drum that is playing Cody Riley over Jalen Hill. Um, but it seems like decisions have been more made to, and completely defensively if we're not just using our Howland eyes but you know I think Mick Cronin very defensively could have looked at this roster and said am I winning with defense with this roster and he might realistically have said no could I win with offense and get them up to speed enough to be decent on defense and I think that's the calculation he made by emphasizing Cody Riley over Jalen Hill emphasizing Johnny Juzang um, as his uh, key guy in that wing rotation. Um, I, I just don't know if that... I wouldn't have made that calculation. I'm not a you know multimillionaire basketball coach, though. Um, and now we're kind of looking at a roster that's very imperfect now, but saying, well, still, you, you, you might want to emphasize the defense. Um, and I thought your piece was good today. Um, you know, I think with the way Jalen Clark played yesterday... Somehow finding a way to get him on the floor more, and I think doing it in the post is probably um, the ideal way at this point. Yeah, he doesn't have to play all his minutes in the post, but he can. <laughs> it all comes down to individual matchups uh, of who you're matching up against, how big they are, what their you know what their skills are. And and one thing I wanted to clarify too about my Johnny Juzang uh, in that story, I I don't have that big of a problem with Johnny Juzang as a volume shooter how many I mean yeah I'd like him to be a little bit better bad shot good shot <laughs> determining what that is but when you really look at him a lot of his shots 
aren't, it's not like in the past where people were jacking up bad shots. He doesn't take a lot of, he's, he's just not making any shots. Okay, so, but let's USC, just throw, USC was bad shots. USC there were a lot of bad shots in USC. But, but, but I last I night, a, I would say yeah. almost every one of his shots was a good shot last night. I don't really have, even have a problem with it. I have a problem with his defense. Uh, that's my issue. Um, and you, right now, he to me, he's not a good defensive player. Um, among the starters, I think he's the worst defensive player on the team. And when you're putting a guy out there like that who's the worst defensive player on the team, he does really have to make up for it in his offense. And you could say he is at times, and other times he's shooting you out of a game. But my, I'm not, like when I said, when I suggested that lineup that would get the majority of the minutes, I wasn't take, uh, omitting him from that because of his offense. It's because of his defense. He's not, I literally put the guys who were the best five defenders on the team on that, on that starting five. And, you know, what you were saying, and, and this is, this is the subtlety about all of this and why we're saying it's all nuance and it's cumulative. You take away Chris Smith and you take away Jalen Hill. And not only that you take away Jalen Hill for the last two games, but Jalen Hill was averaging more minutes last year than he was this year. This year, I think he's a, a, a little under 20. Yeah. And last year he was what, Dave, 24 or 25? 20, 23, 24. Okay, so that's, uh, you might not think that's significant, but it is. Um, and and then you throw in Juzang, who's playing 35 recently, and he's, look at all the things that that's doing to your defense. That's hard to make up for. It's really, really hard. And uh, it, we're seeing it. That's what, and here's the thing what's interesting to me. I, I thought we all kind of realized that that's what really helped UCLA surge in the second half and why they were playing probably the best ball in the conference is because their defense had gotten a lot better. Um, with Chris Smith not available, I, I think now you've got you've to emphasize defense more so than ever. Plus, your offense isn't bad. I mean, before you were trading off saying, well, okay, if we play a lot of defenders, we're only going to score 35 points. But this is a pretty good offense. I mean, it's been it, – it broke down a bit in the first half last night. I mean, it was Tiger Campbell and nobody else. But like, like Coach Cronin said, they scored 71 points. They should be able to win a game with that. Um, I think if you play – there's a good trade-off in there of reducing some minutes of guys who aren't defenders and still getting enough offense, but improving your defense. And I really watched David Singleton in the first – I think he was in for the first 10 minutes straight. His defense was good. It was better than I even remembered because I haven't watched isolated. No, that was one of his better. I, I thought it was one of his better in terms of staying in front of the ball. I thought it was yep. one of his better games. Um, yep. He had a couple of boneheaded plays. Um, the one where he just kept his block out on the uh, rebound. Yeah. Where just go go after the ball. Just leave. Yeah, leave but your if, guy if we're gonna, the uh, there are a lot of boneheaded. Yeah, plays. Yeah, you know, it was just it was an yeah. obvious moment sure. because it was close and it was late, or it was where it was getting close and late. Um, yeah, I mean, I tend to agree. Um, I think it's it, it's still in that kind of... 
I, I think the problem is there aren't it's um it's a difference of degrees because I think outside of Jalen Clark on the um currently available list, I think yeah, David Singleton I thought played pretty decent defense last night. Um but there aren't a whole lot of good defenders on this roster. Um when you take away Chris Smith and you take away Jalen Hill. Um Cody Riley has been okay at times. Um Tiger Campbell can bring a lot of energy to it, um, but he also has some fundamental issues just from a size and strength standpoint that make him, you know, just there's going to be issues that he has. Um, And Jaime, so I'm going to differ from, I think, um, the general narrative on this. I don't think he's been the same guy as last year all year. Um, I mean, I think the energy level has been pretty good compared to Joe average um, college player. Um, but I don't think he's been playing as well as he did all of last year as he has this year. I think it's been um, a slight notch below. Um, and, you know, we talked about it at the beginning of the year. Did he get maybe a little bit thicker as he maybe, you know, just kind of um, not having the full off season of workouts, whatever it was. Um, but he hasn't been, he hasn't made the strides that I was expecting him to uh, this year. And then I think recently the, bottom's kind of fallen out a little bit. Um, I think he has worn down quite a bit because he's having to play so much four. Um, but they're just, there's not a whole lot of great defensive options. Um, I'm still with you, though, on it. Um, but I think it's it'd be one thing if they if the, if the record was such that they weren't even in contention anymore and it was more about building good habits for the future and... Um, you know, reinforcing the main tenets of your program and all that kind of stuff. But I think Mick um, is probably caught in that position where it's like, well, okay, this might, you know, if we start, you know, going hard on the bench again and pulling guys as soon as they make a defensive lapse or whatever, that will build us a little bit better for the future. But will that make us win this game right now? Um, Because there's still just one game back in the loss column, right? Right. But my point is that I think playing Jalen Clark increased minutes is building for the future and probably optimizes your chances of winning right now. Yeah, I agree with that's a good defender. I'm I'm with you on Clark. I think the issue for me is whether you get, and I, again, I I think I'm on board with it. If he wanted to do it, I'm just saying, I think that might be the, the complicating factor here for Cronin is if he gets too aggressive on the defensive end, like if he gets back to the, you know, pull a guy as soon as he's doing something dumb on the defensive side, um, will that, you know, cause there was a, <laughs> the beginning half of last year was a lot of that, right? It was a lot of that through the beginning of January and it looked really ugly and it paid off at the second half of last year. But if you start doing that again, do you start, I mean, and they did I don't just think lose. he has to, I don't think he has to do that though. I think that's, that was just, that was literally auditions is what he called it. He wanted to see exactly who could defend. Then he decided, he, uh, I found my guys and we're going to give them the majority of the minutes. I think he knows who can defend right now. Um, and, I, and, I, and I understand where he is and a lot of the issues he's dealing with. But all of those little things add up right now. And right now they're not a good defensive team. Um, and they're not a bad offensive team. I'd, I'd boost the defense right now because being, being a decent offensive team and a bad uh, defensive team, uh, you've lost three of the last four games. 
So let's let's tweak this a little, boost up the defense, and maybe take away a little bit from the offense and see what happens. Because that is what Mick Cronin has done through his career and won. That's what he did last year. And I, I really think a key here is, is Jalen Clark. Um, yeah, I think point. because that guy can he when you watch him guard a five. There aren't many times when the opposing five is really I mean, he should be dominating this guy. He's six five and I think he's listed at one hundred and ninety five pounds. He, he should just be dominated and he's not getting dominated. I mean, there are times when he gets beat. But then the next time down, he's blocking someone out or out-rebounding them or blocking a shot. So you can use him at the five. You can certainly use him on the perimeter as a defender. I think he I, – I hate to put it all on Jalen Clark, but you increase his minutes, you get a better defender, and that helps the rest of the team. Yeah. Um, because, man, he would help staying in front of the ball – and if you get Singleton, who looked like he could stay in front of the ball yesterday, I was impressed with his defensive minutes. And actually, here's one thing I was thinking about with you. Um, and I wrote it in the story. I completely agree, obviously, that Cody Riley is a step down from Jalen Hill when it comes to defense. But Cody Riley is not a bad on-ball defender. He has no, no verticality, so he can't block a shot. And he's not he's not altering shots. No, he can shockingly move his feet pretty well, though. Did you see him against Bonton? He yeah. was a that was the best defensive play in the whole game against Bonton, where yeah. he moved his feet. Bonton did one of his little circus things, and Cody Riley blocked it. Um, he's so he's not a horrible defender, but you can't chip away from your defense like this, and 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 expect your offense to carry you. And I, I think. And I, I know he wants – I know what you're thinking is all coaches think this way. We have to win this game. They don't really feel – I mean, when's, when have you ever in our time of doing this where a coach is building for the future? I, I, that, that's like a lot of rhetoric, but I, I've never heard – I've never actually seen too many people do that. But here's the thing. I think, I think they're, they're better now if they put the best defensive team and rotation on the court. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would, uh, whatever. I mean, yeah, I think they might be better, um, but also I'll just, um, I'll feel better watching it. Right now, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't look, um, uh, God, how, how to put this? It doesn't look like what, um, wh what you would have expected. Um, and I, I would say that for this entire year, and obviously they've won, you know, a lot of games and they were in first place as of, you know, a week ago. So take it with a grain of salt. But, um, and I, I'm, I swear I'm going to stop banging this drum soon because it's going to get, oh, really I don't out, care. it's Bang going to get really outdated drum. very soon. Okay. But, um, the decision to start Cody Riley over Jalen Hill to start the year. Um, oh, that drum. Yeah. The decision to keep, um, Clark very, very limited in minutes. Um, when, I mean, not literally the first time he was on the floor, but pretty quickly thereafter, it was obvious that he was uh, probably their best defender um, among the wings, um, depending on how you feel felt about Hawkes at the beginning of the year. Um, those kinds of things, I, 
when you're and and maybe this is just like again a difference of where is the program from like a has it completely turned around standpoint because I think Cronin and most coaches are are in win now mode so he's trying to play his guys that he thinks are going to win now where I'm still like oh just you know keep doing your program building thing and part of that is playing your dudes who do the things that you like them to do I mean Jalen Hill he goes out there and he rebounds and he blocks shots and he gets to the free throw line Jalen Clill Jalen Clark he goes out there and he defends like crazy um For me, like from a perspective of what I've ever seen from Mick Cronin last year, but also just what I ever saw from him at Cincinnati, it felt like those two guys should be prioritized. Um, Like, okay, what they're bringing to the floor is everything that is talked about as the main um, building blocks of the Cronin program. You know, they get a bunch of deflections. They um, compete. uh, They play defense. They rebound. They do those things. Um, And so I just... That's the kind of thing where I think at this point, obviously, the personnel is imperfect. And I think I think you make some good points about, you know, playing the better defenders. I would prefer that. I think the season, though, is kind of it's kind of on the brink based off of whether or not they can get Cody Riley like fully and 100 percent back and maybe get Jalen Hill back. Um, but I'm even leaving that aside. I would just like to see some emphasis on the things that are going to be the building blocks for years three through hopefully 18. Um, and uh, so that's kind of my look ahead at the next, what is it, six remaining games, seven remaining games. I want to see them get back to it from that angle. Not necessarily is that going to make them win now, you know, playing their best defensive guys, um, but that'll give me some, you know, renewed uh, confidence, belief, whatever, in, you know, the next stretch of, you know, many seasons to come, um, if they can get back to emphasizing those things, even potentially at the expense of winning a game here or a game there. Because um, I'm saying, even if that is not true, that it will immediately result in wins. Like, even if Jalen Clark might go out there and make some mistakes or not provide any offense or whatever, but even still, um, from a how you're building the program and what things you're emphasizing that would make more sense to me. Yeah. Uh, No, I I completely agree. I'm just saying how often have we ever seen a coach play for the future? No, never. Yeah. But I'm just talking about when I'm trying to build a narrative in my own brain, it makes it easier. (laughs) It makes it more consistent if you just stay consistent. So could you please stay consistent? Uh, Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, right. It was interesting in the middle of that game, too, because you and I were texting each other. And it's funny how quickly this turned around. I mean, a week ago, we were talking about just boosting the defense just a little through a little bit of improvement of on-ball defense team, you know, rotate and just a little bit and what how that could propel them, you know, the rest of the season to really compete for a conference championship. And then SC, I kind of just, yeah, okay. They were losing two post players. They were up against it. It was tough. But this game, the first, uh, what, two or three possessions of the half, of the second half, and then that run that got Washington State up 21, I was, and then watching their body language and I was saying, wow, is this is this team gonna like fall off a cliff? Um, 
which I usually you see the cliff coming for a few weeks. This was this was a few days. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we we really rushed up to the to the edge of the precipice really fast. It, it was really kind of crazy. Um, and I really I I really found got a lot out of the fact that they made they mounted a, that little bit of a comeback. Um, and that's the other thing I want to talk about. What what do you think what what precipitated the comeback? Was it the trapping full court press? I think it was the insertion of Jalen Clark. Um, okay. I mean, I think the the press obviously played a role. I think um, I thought Hicks made a good point on the board, which was once you get that Who? first once you get that first turnover in a press, it does help to kind of rebuild your confidence, and then you start you know just playing harder and that sort of thing. Like success builds on success. Um, so I could I could buy that argument a little bit, but I think a lot of it was Jalen Clark, and I think. I mean, maybe this is just my anecdotal recollection, but it seemed like once he was taken out for a breather, uh, that was when the run stopped. Um, when Washington State, I think they banged one big three after it got narrowed to nine or ten points, and then that was right with Clark out of the game, and then I think they extended it to 16 again. Um, but, no, I thought it was heavily, heavily um, pushed by Jalen Clark being in there. Jaime Hawkins also, I thought, brought his best energy of the game in those final five minutes. Right. Um, and again, it's it's a, it's a combination of factors. Uh, uh, obviously, Jalen Clark brought something, but you wouldn't have thought that this team lent itself to being a, a pressing team. They're they're not greatly athletic. They're not great defenders. You wouldn't have thought it. But for whatever reason, it worked. Maybe because they are long. And secondly, they kind of all have a good basketball IQ. They were anticipating what to do. They were using the trap really effectively. Outside of Bonton, though, Washington State was really shaky with the ball. Um, Yeah. So I would say to an extent. um, But I also think it was a matchup thing. But then that lent the question maybe they should have broken out a little bit more press maybe in the first half too um, yeah. against that team in particular. And w- what the press does too is it's a completely different defense than your half court defense. If you're a bad half court defense, usually you don't play a good full court defense, but maybe this team's unique in that uh, because if they could mix in a, a few more, half court where I mean full court presses that could that could eliminate how many more possessions they have to defend in a half court um how many how many turnovers did they get in that thing it was a good handful um it was a significant amount I think I don't know my thing on on um all of that and I think we were talking about it last year too with I think there was a couple of moments where we were thinking, oh, maybe Mick Cronin should break out the zone. And I I think my thing then and my thing now is don't take any time away from what's going to be your bread and butter. And this is, again, going back to my whole, this is year two. Just do what you're going to want to be doing in year five this year. Um, don't, I, I, I wouldn't cut any corners in, in the pursuit of just pure winning now. Um, I think... 
Are you really going to be a pressing team? Is that something that Cronin has done historically? No, not really. Um, I think they've done it in fits and spurts the way any team does it in fits and spurts. Um, I would spend all of your practice time, like the way Ben Hallen did, like 90% of it, working on your half-court defense, working on your half-court man defense, because that's what this team's going to be long-term. That's what they're going to be doing. Um, and as much as as much half-court excellent defense you can wring out of imperfect um, half-court defenders, great. Um, but I think that's got to be the point of emphasis going forward. Um, I don't think there's a way to... Um, First, I don't know if the the press itself will be successful against teams that don't necessarily that have better ball handling um, generally than Washington State does. And second, I just don't think it, it's doing much for you in the future. I don't think this is going to be a pressing team long term. I don't think you can succeed as a pressing team long term in the way college basketball is now with all the good guard play. Um, so I think I would again just overemphasize keep pushing half court man defense. And then make your personnel decisions, your in-game personnel decisions, your starting decisions, a whole thing based off of who's playing good defense and who isn't. Um, and reward the things that are going to be the building blocks of your program. I'm not saying becoming a full-court pressing team. I'm just saying using it selectively at different times just to just to mix it up and maybe get it a few stops, turnovers, and easy baskets yeah, I'm out all, of it. I'm all for mixing yeah. things up occasionally, yeah. Um, and I think they've done that. It's just... I think in this game, I, I think to definitely for this game, they might maybe should have done it a little bit more, especially in the first half. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, there are so many question marks for this team right now. Where do you where do you like see that? Let's say, let's just say Jalen Hill doesn't come back. Yeah. So let's 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 hypothesize about that. So right now, uh, UCLA. Let's just. Let's just give everyone lay of the land. Uh, so right now, UCLA is 43rd in Ken Palm. They're 13-5 and five overall, 9-3 and three in conference. So they're trailing USC, um, who's 10-2 and two in conference and 16-3 and three overall. USC right now is 13th in Ken Palm. So a clear cut above, way above UCLA. Um, the Bruins have six remaining games. So it's away against Washington on Saturday, which... Even with everything that has gone on, UCLA is going to be favored in that game. Uh, Washington is indeed very bad. But Washington, if you remember, uh, played a tight game with UCLA at home uh, just one month ago when UCLA was actually playing pretty well. Um, then it's the Arizona schools at home. Uh, then it's Utah and Colorado away. And then it's USC at home. So that's a pretty tough slate. Um especially given everything that's going on with the program right now. Um, if Jalen Hill is out, I would say winning the conference is out the window at that point. Um, I think he would need to be back and full go, ready to just rock at like 20, 25 minutes a game by Arizona for them to still have a hope of winning the conference. I think USC is, is, USC is very good. And um, having that game up on UCLA already, and then it's it's such a bad matchup for UCLA in the return game that you would basically have to see UCLA make up those two games in the games that do not include USC because I think right. they would lose that one again. Yeah. Um, so then it's just the pure math of it makes it very difficult. Um, 
the question, the the maybe lingering question in the back of your mind is, where are the wins going to come for UCLA to lock up its bid by the end of the year? Because that's where it's starting to get a little tricky. Right now, Ken Palm has it as three and three to close out the year. So 16 and eight, 12 and six overall in the league. Um, that smells a little bubblicious to me. Um, and that that would that would leave me thinking that UCLA would still have quite a bit of work to do in the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's what I'm seeing too. I mean, uh, I kind of agree with our boy Ken. What do you think? You agree with him where this is going? Yeah, I think it's going to be tough. I mean, I think there's a real scenario where the bottom completely falls out. I mean, if they play like they did against Washington State, um, I, dude, I'm not sure I see an obvious win on the rest of the schedule. I mean, I think they'll sneak a couple out, but not an obvious one. Yeah. Um, hopefully they bring a lot better, you know, focus or whatever you want to call it, um, in the upcoming games. Um, I think Washington is completely beatable. Arizona state is completely beatable. I think Arizona is pretty good, but UCLA obviously can and did beat them on the road. Um, but Utah, Colorado and USC, those are all going to be tough, you know, two road games and then, um, USC at home. So, uh, yeah, I think three and three seems very realistic, um, two and four could absolutely happen. Um, it, but if they got Jalen Hill back and he's able to play at a pretty high level, which I think literally we we, we have no idea. Um, but if he is able to come back and play at a pretty high level or Cody Riley is able to play at the level, not even that he's played all year. If Cody Riley was able to play at the level he played in, say, the last like 10 games of last year, um, they could also go five and one. Um, I think there's still complete room for this to be uh, a good finish of the season, a bad finish of the season, um, which, again, that's not really being very predictive for you out there. But I think there's still just so many unknowns um, dependent on the return of, you know, the, the potential potential return of Jalen Hill. This game against Washington is kind of big. It's huge. It's so huge. <laughs> They so they need this is their easiest game going forward. Um, I would say uh, they need no question. They need this win. If and you could see maybe if they don't get it, uh, you could see maybe thing that the wheels coming off a little. Yeah, yeah. And just to give everyone a picture of Washington. Um, they are two and eleven in conference and three and fifteen overall. Now they do have two wins that are pretty damn good. They've got a win over Colorado, and then a win over Utah. But I mean, this is a team that got blown out by Oregon State, um, got blown out by Washington State. Uh, they're they're not good. Um, so UCLA obviously has some major major issues, uh, but this is uh, an absolute must win. Um, if from like a results of this season standpoint, because if you lose this one, I think that alone probably slams you into the bubble territory um, because it would be two pretty bad losses in a row. Um, Washington but, state. And then this one. Yeah. I'd say I'm giving them a pass for the SC game because you lost your two post players right before. Um, I'm not giving them a pass with Washington state, but, Cody Riley's foul trouble (laughs) 
which I, I, is inexplicable to me, some of the fouls that he committed in that game. That, but, was, that was very early career, Cody Riley. Wow. Wow. Uh, I, I mean, you sat for the majority of the first half, and you come out in the second half. Did you see the foul that got him his third, oh, yeah. his third foul? I mean, he was three feet away and just slap and just trying to slap at the guy's hand. Uh, anyway, maybe they get him under control to where he can play 25 minutes. If if Cronin can do that, if not, I'm if 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 Cody Riley can't even stay in the game, wow. But if Mick Cronin can get Cody Riley to stay and and play 20 minutes. I think he has enough tools here to eke out a decent end to this season. Uh, I think that's the best way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I think they're 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 definitely they're limping to the finish. Um, now the question is just whether they can get there. Um, but I, yeah, I mean it's it's the the season. I don't think has gone the way anybody would have wanted after basically Smith went down with the ACL. And after that, you could have, you saw them come together. They were playing really well in the weeks following that. But then you add in Hill being gone. It's just, there's there's a lot that's been missing from the personnel that they expected um, to start the year. So, yeah. you know, all of our like tactical complaints or whatever aside, it's this team that we thought had real potential before the start of the year. And then still thought had pretty good potential after Smith's ACL. Now it's a question, will they make the tournament or won't they? And if they get in there, will they win a game? That's basically it at this point. Yeah. Um, so, and that's just circumstances. That's not anything that was really controlled. Um, so, yeah, I, I think at this point we're just kind of looking for, um, you know, what are the moves that will make it the best finish to the season? And then what are the moves that are going to set them up um, for, you know, potential goodness in the future yeah i think what i really at this point given what they're up against the fact that they lost smith they might lose hill i really want to see uh mick cronin not only get the most out of the team whether they win or lose seriously but if they're still all really engaged and playing hard by the end of the season yeah i think that's critical yeah yeah okay football football Football. So I know uh, you're really excited. You want to talk about this? You you heard the note in my voice go up an octave. Um, UCLA, um, UCLA's Dana Bible, uh, the quarterbacks coach, uh, has decided to retire from coaching football. Yes. So what that means is that UCLA will be in the market for. Either I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there. Either a quarterbacks coach or maybe another wide receivers coach, depending on what they end up doing with uh, young Mister Jerry Neuheisel. Um, but this one is uh, probably massively beneficial for recruiting, no matter what ends up happening in terms of that musical chairs. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, okay, I'm trying to be diplomatic here. Um, Don't be. He's retired. Well, for a lot of reasons. I, I mean, I, because I've heard he's—I've heard he's a good guy. I mean, people like him. Um, Not recruits because they don't talk to him. And I think he helped. What he was was supposed to just be like a little transition guy for when Chip came in and he'd coach up the quarterbacks for the first couple of years. But 
he he hurt UCLA's quarterback recruiting. I'm not even going to say he limited it. He hurt it. There were some quarterback recruits who, off the record, specifically cited that other programs have a more dynamic coach that I'd be working with kind of thing. Um, what was interesting, too, is a lot of the quarterbacks in the past cited Thad Lewis, if you remember him. Mm -hmm. uh, the former UCLA coach, uh, he was, you know, we got to come up with a term because you have the assistants, then you have the coaches under them and we just, they're coaches, but you know, what do you, what do you call them? I, I um, think we should call them exactly that. They should be the under coaches. The under coaches. You know how like in, uh, in like Britain, you've got like under secretaries and stuff. Yeah. 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 The under coach. Um, I heard a lot of praise for Thad Lewis when he was when he was there. Uh, in fact, a lot of the uh, the quarterbacks thought he was their guy. I mean, he was the one who was mainly uh, they thought like kind of coaching them. Um, he left last year, uh, so I'm throwing that out at the same time that I don't think this was a sudden thing that Dana Bible just suddenly retired. Uh, so I think the move of Jerry Neuheisel to wide receiver was with a knowledge that Dana Bible would be retiring. Um, overall, though, what it does do is UCLA fans should be excited for a couple of reasons. It will immediately give a boost to quarterback recruit. And uh, just the relationship with the staff, with quarterback recruits. Hopefully they'll get a younger, more dynamic guy who can relate relate to, to relate to high school quarterbacks and you know transfer quarterbacks, and then help also in the quarterback room in developing the quarterback. So that's something that UCLA has been working under Chip Kelly without. Um, so this is an opportunity for them to greatly upgrade that. Whether that's Jerry Neuheisel, which I mean I might be I might be wrong on this. I I've, since this happened. I haven't checked with any sources, so I'm speculating based on old knowledge, old information. Whether it's him or it's someone else, uh, it gives UCLA a great opportunity. I mean, let's just, let's face it, they haven't done very well in quarterback recruiting. I mean, they've missed on so many guys. They haven't, they, who have they brought in since Chip Kelly's been the coach. Uh, I mean, not a not a lot of guys. They've now done better in transfer quarterback recruiting, but hopefully this will really, really help in recruiting high school quarterbacks. And this is the time when they need it because the 2022 quarterback class in the West, wow, that might be this might be one of the worst quarterback classes I've seen. And it's exacerbated from the fact that we weren't able to see a lot of them. Like there might be more guys who were, you know, Pac-12 level who played their junior year um, this last season. So we're without those guys too. But this this is not a this is not a good quarterback class in 2022. So enhancing the recruiting of that class would really be great. So all around a good thing. But I wouldn't mind if they brought back Thad Lewis. No, that would be. Um 
pretty cool. He's with, I think, I think from what I'm reading, he's with Tampa Bay now. Didn't they just do something of note? Yeah, I think they just won um, a game. Was it's a big game? The big yeah. game. The super. Yeah. The Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. And and I have to admit, I I do not do a lot of uh, research into the NFL. And I really – he is an offensive assistant with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I had no idea how to project how much money he's making in that position. I would have to think if he was quarterback coach at UCLA, he would make more. Yeah, what was Bible getting? Like four hundred and fifty, something like that? Four four fifty, which a first time hire would not get. A first time hire is more probably around one eighty to two twenty five, somewhere around there. If you're a quarterback coach, if you're a tight end coach, it's probably one fifty, you know, to one eighty. But quarterback coach probably upwards of, of around two hundred thousand. I just can't think he's getting that as an office offensive assistant with Tampa Bay. But yeah. um yeah, but that that's exciting. I think um, I've been waiting. I kind of been waiting for this. When if you're recruiting, and of course recruiting Nick, and all you're doing is looking to see who they're signing and who they're recruiting, this is this is a big opportunity for them to bring in a big recruiter here. Right. Yeah. So uh, hopefully they can get that in, and we'll see. Um, hire somebody for the role, um, or you know to your speculation, hire somebody from the role or potentially um, just move Jerry over and then hire somebody for wide receivers coach. Um, that And this is just me with my own, you know, weird biases. I know Jerry was assisting with the wide receivers for so long, but wouldn't it make more natural sense for him to be the quarterback's coach? Because I know he was doing some of that in the past too, you know? Yeah, he but. has. He, he was, he worked with the receivers. If he went out to practice, he was the guy who was helping Jimmy Doherty with receivers. And then in the games, he was he was the liaison on the field who literally dealt with the quarterbacks during the game. Or Tracy, I've got a thought. You ready for a thought? Yes. Are you ready sure. for a thought? Are always. You sit, are you of, always one of yours. Okay. He's not young. Who's well, not young? But what about Jerry you bring, Neuheisel? No, no, no. He's not young. But what about you bring uh, Daddy New, the original? Bring him back. <laughs> quarterbacks coach. Talk to me. Um. Instant reaction. My instant reaction is he's not going to put in the work. Oh, he's not. He's Daddy not. No. I mean, he's 60 years old. He's he's not going to put in the work. Oh, yeah. You know those six-year-old dudes. They don't work hard. They don't. I mean, come on. You've got to hustle, man. you got to get out. You're in non-COVID times. You were flying all over the country, staying in hotels with, you know, check, you know, just carry on luggage, going to see play. He's not doing that. He's he's in his retirement job. How often does does Rick Neuheisel work a year right now? I think he's got he's got a cushy gig. I mean, he does his SEC on CBS stuff, and I think that's about it. And <laughs> I mean, as a reference, Dave, have we talked about this? Uh, when Rick Neuheisel was the coach at UCLA, how hard did he work? Not very, but. The man is a good recruiter. He's a great recruiter. He's an, he's a very, very good recruiter. And I think he'd probably be very good in the quarterback's room, too. I think that would be great. But it's still all of the job description 
it's still it dem- not even just recruiting. It demands a lot of hours. No, but Tracy, imagine this. Imagine this. Imagine you hire Rick Neuheisel back as the quarterback's coach, but Chip Kelly maintains his policy of the assistants not being able to talk. <laughs> I, you know what? He wouldn't be able to do it. He wouldn't be able to do he, it. He, he, he wouldn't be able to handle it. And his, his body would just bring him over to the microphones. <laughs> he would just have his second scrum. It would be Chip, and then, and then Rick would join. And he would, he would say, okay, anybody got anything? Got anything? Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. You know? No, we, need, we want younger, more dynamic. Good practice. Good practice yeah. today. <laughs> Good practice. What was so funny with Rick was I was there for his very first practice and uh, he did it as a joke where he walked over and just said good practice. And then not as a joke, he just started doing it every single post-practice. Interview. I remember. Yep. So sad. I think he kind of for, he got in his mind as uh, like a groove. There were synapses that had been established and then he forgot it was a joke and he kept doing it. Yeah. 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 Autopilot, baby. What? Wait. What's the most famous thing that he's remembered for screaming at the team on the on the field? I, of practice? I, I can't be the only one who cares. I can't be the only one who cares. What? And it's so beautiful because it can be read so many different ways. Which is, I can't be the only one who cares. Um, which is, you know, like me personally, I, I I can't be this. Like this is not something for me. But like also like. What is it saying about your team? Like, there's just so much depth and anguish to it. I love the whole thing. Yeah. Love Rick. Burn the boats. Burn the boats. Uh, there are so many great... Oh, let's not talk about it. There are just so many great things that came out of Rick Neuheisel's practices. Yeah. So anyway. So, yeah, that's a good... That's a... I'm... I'm... You know, you should be fired up about who they could hire at... As the quarterback coach. Slick Rick, and, baby. And here's the other thing, too. I mean, they're paying Bible $450,000 a year. Unless they get someone who's like a really established quarterback coach who's going to take up that salary. Uh, I like, said this like before. Like a Slick Rick. <laughs> I, see, that's the other thing. Rick's making more money now. Yeah. Why, why would he do this? Um, I said this one time on the forum that they'd be able to save some from this salary to pay and someone said are you kidding me they have to pinch 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 pennies to save this and move that no but it helps you know if you could if you want to increase someone else's salary it it helps that you could get it from someone else's salary who's retiring so that would be beneficial too you have four hundred fifty thousand dollars for just the quarterbacks coach yeah who didn't who wasn't really a great active recruiter, you know? So yeah, that's, this is a good thing. Very good thing. All right, Tracy, you got anything else? (laughs) Um, no, no, but I want to see you. I kind of want to see you do the, uh, to get out of this with a, with a stretch and a yawn. It just would finish it off for me. All right. Okay. Uh, Well, all right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, uh, for Tracy Pearson, I'm uh, I'm David Woods, Burn Report Online, UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And we'll talk to you again next time. Everyone, 
continue to stay safe out there.